Amen. Uh, welcome to the Seed Church. Uh, we're happy to have you here for Easter. A couple housekeeping notes, and oh my goodness, it's snowing. <laughs> Sorry. Happy Easter, everybody. Uh, we do have a kids' corner over here. If your kids need to wiggle and play, uh, they can go over there, or dads too. I get, I get it. Um, also, we have a little photo wall. I know sometimes we only get dressed up as a family once a year. Please utilize that to take a photo with your family before you go home. And we just invite you here. Welcome. This is an exciting service. Let me pray, and we'll dig into the Word together. Lord Jesus, you are alive. And now we gather and we open your word and we celebrate that you are victorious. So I humbly ask Jesus that you would have your will be done. Lord, that we would look more like you by the end of our time together than when we begin. That you'd be glorified. Amen. Easter Sunday, or perhaps better known as Resurrection Sunday, is perhaps the most important day ever. Today we celebrate that Jesus not only died for our sins, he didn't just pay the penalty, but death couldn't hold him. He defeated death and rose again into new life. Eternal life was won for us today. Well, not today, thousands of years ago, but on Easter Sunday. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a living, active, powerful Savior. He taught us how to live. He taught us how to pray. He paid for our sins and he won us eternal life by defeating death. That's why we're here. We celebrate life. If you have your Bibles, uh, please open them up to 1 Corinthians 15. That's where we're going to be for a lot of today. And the question is, why do we make such a big deal about Easter? Why is this so important? For the early church, the resurrection was the key to their faith. In it, it proved that Jesus wasn't just a good teacher or a miracle worker or a good rabbi, but he truly was the Son of God, because who else has the power to defeat death but God? It's essential and worth remembering and celebrating. This is the greatest day. So 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to start in verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold to the message I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So Paul is saying here at the beginning, he's going to go over or make clear, repeat the gospel, the good news, the central tenet of the faith, so that the Corinthians could hold on to it. And I love this kind of progression that Paul works through. He preached, they received, they stand on it, and are being saved if they hold on to it. Now, if that's true, it is imperative that we hold on to it and that means we need to remind ourselves of the gospel. We can't get bored of it. We can't let it get numb to our ears. We need to have a strong and accurate grip on it so we can remain. That is one of the main reasons churches meet weekly. Why do we meet weekly? To remind ourselves that God is real. By doing that, we set aside at least one time every week to reflect and refresh ourselves on God's work. It helps us reset and focus about what really matters. That's also why we celebrate this day yearly, to remember, refocus, re-engage. We need to be clear on the gospel. And Paul goes on then in verses 3 through 8. For I passed on to you, as most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. 
Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Verses 3 through 4, Paul quickly retraces kind of the big themes of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, we celebrated that on Friday. He was buried, meaning he was actually dead. This is important. Jesus didn't metaphorically die. He didn't spiritually die. He died. Dead. His body physically really died, so much so that they had to bury him. And then he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that's why we're here. Jesus really died, but he also really rose again. And then Paul continues with what I would call proofs of the recognition, of the resurrection. It said that Jesus appeared to Cephas. This is Peter, Simon Peter. He's like the most, well, honest disciple. (laughs) He does a lot of silly things. Um, It's a nickname. Yeah, that's a nickname for Simon Peter. He also appeared to the 12 disciples. It wasn't just a hallucination. Jesus appeared to 12 all at the same time. And if that wasn't enough, he appeared to more than 500 people all at the same time. That's not, you can't mass hallucinate 500 people. That's pretty incredible. And again, Paul's getting at the fact that the apostles aren't trying to pull anybody's leg when it comes to Jesus being the Messiah about his resurrection. They saw him, not just the 12, but over 500 people at the same time. And Paul says that most of those people are still alive. So he's saying, hey, if you guys need proof, talk to one of these people. They saw it. That's pretty convincing. Eyewitnesses hold up in court pretty well. Then Jesus appeared to James. This would be the brother of Jesus who became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Then to the rest of the apostles. And then he says, last of all, me, Paul. He himself was an eyewitness to the risen Christ. It's interesting to me that Paul takes time to do this. Why does he retrace the steps of the eyewitnesses to the resurrection? He didn't want people to have any doubt. And it's important for us, too, to have confidence in the resurrection. It matters. Let's go down now to verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we've testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If, any, if we put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Wow. Pitied more than anyone. A common heresy in the early church, in Judaism and Christianity, was that there wasn't a physical bodily resurrection. That it was just some type of spiritual resurrection. Still, others believed that there would be no resurrection at all. This is the life you get, and following Jesus helps you have a more fulfilled, true life, a good life. But to Paul, this is a huge problem, a blatant heresy, and it wasn't to be tolerated. 13 and 14 says, if there is no resurrection, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then a proclamation is in vain. So is your faith. If there was no bodily resurrection, Paul's saying the whole, that the gospel that the whole church has been founded on, that is the evidence, the testimony of a risen Christ are false, the whole faith is wrong. It's the linchpin. Then he goes on to say, we are found, uh, found to be false witnesses. And more than that, in verse 17, if that's true, there is no resurrection. Faith is worthless. We're still in our sins. All those who have already died are gone forever. 
And if this is all there is, if this is all there is, there is no resurrection, what a pitiful life. Why would you seek to live a difficult life in following Jesus only to die and have it end? Have you ever thought about that? Jesus asks a lot. Hey, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. We, we, we cheapen that. We Christianize it. That's like, pick up the electric chair, follow me. To what end, though, if there is no resurrection? Just die? It would be pointless. The resurrection is the linchpin of our whole faith. Continuing on now in verse 20. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ we will all be made alive. As it is, Christ has been risen from the dead. He's risen. Yes. There are hundreds and hundreds of witnesses. And he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does that mean? He explains it. Death came to all of humanity through our ancestor Adam, but life and resurrection come through our ancestor now, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So those who have died, who are in Jesus, will be made alive again through Jesus in his resurrection. Does that not make you hopeful? Seeing all our friends and family who know him forever. He's our living hope. Verses 23 through 26. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. Afterward, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. When he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. So Christ's resurrection is the first fruit. It's the first evidence of what's to come. Then at his coming, that's his second coming, when he comes again, all those who belong to Christ will rise. All those who belong to him. Verses 24 and 25 talk about the end, and Jesus Jesus will reign until all his enemies have went down, and then finally, death itself will be no more. Death is a shadow that's slowly going away as the sun comes up. Jesus and his resurrection are the evidence that death is a temporary evil. It was never meant to be. And there will come a day where there is no more death, no more pain, no more suffering. I find this incredible. But it all depends on the resurrection. Jesus being our living king. And that's why we're here. We remember the witnesses to the resurrection. We remember the apostles' teachings. We look back on our own lives and how God has saved us and healed us. And we look forward to the day that Jesus comes again. All those who are in Christ will rise again. Our loved ones, our fellow Christians, all made alive forever. Let's go all the way to the end of chapter 15 now in verse 58. And this is a charge that Paul leaves us with. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Because of the hope we have, we can work, labor, yes, even be persecuted, killed, abandoned, destroyed, but it is not in vain. God has won the day. Death will not hold us. Death is defeated through his resurrection. Two things I want to highlight this morning in response to the resurrection. Two things. First, is the evidence for the resurrection, and second is what our response should be. First, evidence for the resurrection. 
This seems silly, but there are countless books written on the historicity of the resurrection. In fact, uh, some of them really well-known, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Sean and Josh McDowell, countless others. We know more about the historicity, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus than any other ancient history. Really, we know more about Jesus than we do about Julius Caesar, about Plato, about Socrates. Jesus is just a historic reality. So I would encourage anyone, look into it. There are resources. People have done incredible work. And what you'll find as you dig in, it's historically verified in really astounding ways. Just as Paul retraces, this person saw him, this person saw him, this person saw him. We should not say it's bad to not look into it. I encourage all of us, look into the resurrection. The early church was motivated because they actually believed it and it motivated to the point of death. Think about it. Why would disciples and early Christians be willing to suffer and die for a system they didn't have confidence in. We also don't talk about this a lot, but none of the 12 uh, disciples or Paul were really wealthy. In fact, when you trace what happened to those people, those men, most were imprisoned, beaten, scorned, killed, crucified, upside down, beheaded, horrendous deaths. Why? Why? Why would they keep that up if they didn't believe that this is true? What did they have to gain? I, like Paul, want you to have confidence in the faith, confidence in the resurrection. Jesus transformed the world. He is alive. He saves. So if you're having doubts or you just want a really fascinating study project, look into it. Seriously, go study the resurrection. You'll find so much evidence. Second, and this is what we want to reflect on, so what? Jesus rose from the dead. What's our response? When I think of the scriptures and all of what Jesus has for us, it's this. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus has won for us life, life eternal, and that starts now and lasts forever. So we are free to walk in the newness of life. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. He says, the old creature has gone, the new has come. So how can we best celebrate, remember, and honor Jesus well, we can abide in him, worship him, obey him, live the life he has for us. Because again, that eternal life begins now. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer fearful of death. So we live and move and work in and out of victory. Knowing that even should the worst come, even if we die, if we're persecuted, we would be found in the book of life and welcomed into Jesus' kingdom forever. Where we want to land today is in Romans chapter 6, if you want to turn there now with a reflection on the new life that has been won for us in the resurrection, Paul outlines this in Romans chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 1. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? It's a simple rhetorical question. Hey, since Jesus has died for our sin and we're forgiven, we can just keep doing whatever we want, right? And he answers, of course not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And I know what you're thinking, uh, we haven't actually died yet. <laughs> Jesus died, we're not dead. We'll keep reading in verse 3. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? When we come to faith in Jesus, in faith, we are to die with him. And this is exemplified through baptism. Just as Jesus was buried under the ground, we are 
put under the surface of the water. And just like he was raised again on the third day, we come back up, symbolically dying with him and rising again in new life. Let's keep reading in verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So we are baptized. We go under the water, dying to sin and death. Just like Jesus rose from the dead, we too are raised back over the water to walk in newness of life. For just like we've been dying uh, to sin and die with him, we will certainly experience the resurrection with him. Now let's continue through um, 6 through 14. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any part of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace. So our response to the resurrection, our response to the gospel is this. We confess our need, our great need for a Savior. And then we respond in faith. Jesus, what do you have for me? I, I don't want to live in sin anymore. I want to die to sin and I want to live with you forever. We seek to put our sin and evil desires to death and, and walk away from them. We call that repentance. Knowing that salvation has already been won, Jesus has paid for it all. And we inherit his righteousness. That's how that works. Yeah, we're rotten sinners. Jesus isn't. He gives us his holiness. New life forever. So if you've come today and you would like to experience this new life, maybe you don't know that. Maybe you've never experienced new life. I would invite you to respond to the gospel. I'd like to invite you to pray, to follow Christ. Uh, any of us core team members, or I would love to talk to you after the service to talk how we actually do that. But I think the most perfect end to our service would be baptism. Historically, the tradition of the church is on Easter, is to celebrate baptism. Think about it. Jesus died on Friday and he's risen on Sunday. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate new life. Baptism, since the founding of our faith, has become the introductory rite as a Christian. If you read through the book of Acts, or really the New Testament, you'll find that as soon as people get saved, as soon as they decide to follow Jesus, sometimes they try to find the closest pond to get dunked in. It was just something we did as Christians. You receive salvation, they'd get baptized. So here's where we're going from here. I'm going to pray. We're going to move over to this tub here, and we're going to start baptizing, and we're going to sing songs and rejoice. So I would just encourage you, rejoice, sing, clap. When you see these kids go under and come up, just raise a hallelujah. God is doing crazy things, and this is a really big deal. So let me pray. Worship team can come on up. And we're going to celebrate together. God, you are a God who saves and you are a God who lives and you are a God that gives us life. So now as we move to baptism and as we move to celebrate what you've done, 
would you just raise a holy joy in us? We love you, Jesus, and we praise you that you are our living God. And you give us your holiness and your life forever. Amen. Friends, why don't you stand with us?